Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Hey, here we are. It's the start of our What's On Your Mind series, and I'm very excited to bring the word tonight. Um, I'm going to be bringing a word on how do you deepen your relationship with God. And I'm excited, number one, because that's something that I think about a lot, praise God. Um, But I'm excited, number two, because that says a really great thing about where we are as a church, that our most asked question would be, how do I grow in my relationship with God? Like, I just want to say congratulations. I don't, I don't know, maybe it was rigged or something, Pastor Nick put in 20, but it wasn't. I know it wasn't, but that's awesome, genuinely. Like, that shows a church that's ready to move to another level. That shows a church that has a genuine heart for God where this isn't just, you know, ritual or, or routine, but this is no God. I'm all in. I want to go all, all in. So I'm, I'm really pumped to um, share this word tonight. Um, but I, I also had a thought. So our vision at City Edge is to build fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so really every single preach is almost answering this question of how do we grow in Christ? How do we become more fully devoted to Him? And so I also want to put a, a challenge out tonight of, hey, let's be doers of the Word tonight, not just hearers of the Word. Let's be doers of the Word tonight. I want to read from James 1:22 to encourage us. It says this, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do I have a bunch of doers in the house tonight? Is there a bunch of doers here? Amen. So good. <laughs> hey, um, I've got a word tonight, and I'm, I'm, I'm structuring around um, this old bloke named Pseudo Dionysius. Can everyone say that, Pseudo Dionysius? Nailed it. I might have, yeah, that's it. So good. Um, he was alive about 1,500 years ago. He was a Christian theologian, philosopher, smart guy, and he, he wrote a lot about trying to answer this question of how does one grow in Christ? How does one get from the milk to the meat, as um, the Apostle Paul puts it? And um, he, he came up with three different ways which he kind of observed Christians tended to go through, or three different sort of journeys, uh, things that believers would focus on periods of their life. But he didn't quite put it as it's like you do this, then that, then the other. Um, it was more like it, it's, it's kind of, there's a bit of a broad overlap where really we're all kind of doing the same at one time, but it's helpful to identify them. And so those three ways are this. There's the purgative, there's the illuminative, and there's the unitive. Um, the verb for those to make the words a bit smaller is to purge, to illuminate, and to unite. And I want to talk tonight about how we can walk our journey with Christ trying as to the best of our ability with the Holy Spirit's help to work these things, to be purging our lives, to be illuminating our minds, and to be uniting with God in love. Um, So that's the plan. We're all on board. Everyone's on the train. Hallelujah. Awesome. Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? Lord Jesus, God, I, I pray tonight that our heart's cry would truly be to know you, God. Lord, for every single person sitting here, Jesus, we, we choose to, to lean in, God, to listen to your word, to listen, Lord God, to what you want to speak to every individual here, God, because you are never silent, Lord. You're always speaking, and we just pray we would have ears to hear, God, tonight, ears to hear what you want to speak to your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going um, to show you a very unpleasant image of me um, to begin this message, just so that we can kind of build a little bit of trust, a little bit 
bit of rapport. Um, I had uh, the, a, a very uh, pleasant experience about five years ago with some friends of mine in this church uh, where we drove down to Wellington Point in Brisbane to eat what was known as the Mega Death Burger. And um, can I just let you know, um, they cannot be sued for false advertising. They were on the money, um, Mega Death Burger. They also called it the world's hottest burger. I'm kind of just going to cut to the chase and show you uh, what this burger can do to a person, myself in particular. Um, so do we have that video there up the back? We're, we're going to put this on. I, a bit of a, just don't, don't play it quite yet. Don't play it. No, 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 back, 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 back to the start. Trigger warning, I scream really loud to start this. And not like a girly scream, like a, like a very, very painful scream. So uh, let's get that sound pumping so it can shock us all. All right, let's go. <laughs> That's me after I was victorious. Um, <laughs> now, genuinely, genuinely, not over-exaggerating, not it was this big. That was the most painful day of my life. I'm not even kidding. At that stage of my life, I was a guy that found mild salsa, um, a little bit spicy, depending on the temperature. Um, so that day was insane. Um, but but and I'm not going to tell the whole story. Basically, the story is we ate a really hot burger and we all died. Uh, that was basically what happened. Um, but But something really funny is that I, on the drive home, I actually felt great. And it was really funny because everyone else that was in the car with me, um, James Allen, who ran out Alpha tonight, you should go to Alpha, sneaky plug. Um, he, he was in the car as well. And James was in that car and it was like he'd been shot by a bullet in the stomach. He was just, he was just groaning, just like, oh, this is so bad. And no lie, I'm there, front seat. I'm like on the third heaven. I'm just, I'm on top of the world. And do you want to know why, why I was on top of the world? Now, Maybe like, maybe like 1% of it was the pride of being the only one to finish that burger. That's right. Five went in. I came out victorious. <laughs> Happy to flex that here. I, I, um, I invite anyone to, uh, to try, try eat that and see if they can beat me. No one in this church has so far. Just uh, putting that out there. Hey, hey. Um, but it wasn't that. It wasn't the pride of victory. Um, and pride is a sin. Um, it was actually one simple word. Uh, one hyphenated word, actually. Um, and I'm not going to explain it for you if you don't know what this means, but the word is TACVOM. <laughs> now, again, I'm going to be very gracious um, tonight. Just a bit of explanation. Is, so I finished the burger, and everything inside of me was saying, alien in your stomach. There is an alien in your stomach. This needs to come out. And so I, with all the grace in the world, found a nice little garden in Brisbane, and I... Um, I, through my own inhibition, I chose to um, help rid myself of the evil that I had put inside of me. If you're catching my drift, um, hopefully all the children are safe by um, how I've worded this here tonight. Um, sorry for that image. I promise there's a great spiritual principle here, right? Um, and you can probably already guess where this is going. The purgative. The purgative. What did I do in this moment? I purged myself. I went through, uh, it actually wasn't a brief moment, it was a long moment, it was a very long moment, um, but I went through a moment of very, of a lot of uncomfortability, let me tell you that, um, but the fruit of that moment of uncomfortability, the fruit of that moment of ridding myself of the evil that I decided to digest was so much peace. So much joy in that car at home. I was bragging to all the other guys. I'm like, look at you weaklings. I ate the whole thing and I feel fine. And I did. I was so happy. I was honestly on another level. Um, it was amazing. Um, but you see, 
God's actually calling us to wage war in ourselves sometimes. Um, you can't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to make this claim, you cannot be a faithful follower of Christ and not have to wage war on yourself. Because if you didn't, you'd be perfect. And that's not the Bible, sadly. Um, but it's not like, a, and, and by waging war on ourselves, it's, it's really like a civil war. You know, a civil war as opposed to a war of two different nations is when the one nation, you get two different sides and they, they start fighting. Um, but what we're called to do as believers, and it's, it's, it's so simple, but I just really do want to remind us of it as a church, is I just want to remind us that we're not perfect. And we do actually possess evil desires. I know shock horror, 2019, saying that we have bad desires for ourselves. It can, it can be like, oh, maybe the other person, maybe Hitler did, but not me. I, all my desires are good, but I'm sorry. The Bible says, and your life should probably tell you the same at some point, that not all our desires are perfect. Not every thought that we entertain is actually healthy for us. Not everything that we digest spiritually or what, that we digest through our eyes is actually good for us. And what does the Bible call us to do? What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to purge, to wage war against temptation, to wage war against the sin that can so easily come from, from without, from within the sin that can be in our hearts. Jesus calls us to put it on the cross, to say, here it is, I crucified, I purge it, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, I know I'm going to have to make choices that are away from my desires, I'm actually going to have to say no to my desires, but God, I choose to do this because I love you and I want to grow, because I did click, this is my most interesting question, how do I develop with God, God, I really do care about this, I have a sincere heart that I want to grow in you, and so I will pay the cost. I will pay the cost of denying myself, denying that thing that I want. I will pay the cost of denying slothfulness. I'll pay the cost of denying materialism. I'll pay the cost of denying sexual immorality. I'll pay the cost of all these things, God, because you're worth it and my relationship with you is worth it. You see, there's something beautiful that happens when we renounce physical pleasure. We actually gain spiritual pleasure. It's, uh, it's not maybe talked about too much, and to be honest, I think that's just because it's very hard to describe. I could not tell you what it feels like to be in spiritual pleasure, but I know what it is, and man, I'd make that trade every day. I would. i make that trade every day of, God, take away those physical things because you're better, because the joy that I can find in you is so much better. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is joy? And can I tell you, the joy you're going to get from God, it's not even on the same page as what you're going to get from Netflix. It's not even on the same page of what you're going to get through following that materialistic aim of the new car or the new iPad, whatever it may be. The joy that we can receive from God if we choose to simply renounce the things that actually aren't that good for us, if we're honest with ourselves for a moment, oh man, it's so good. It's so good. And every believer, if we want to move forward with God, we're always going to be looking for, at ourselves and thinking, what can I purge God? What's not of you in my life right now? What thoughts are not of you? How can I lay this on the altar before you? But good news, good news, good news. It's not all on you. I love this verse in John 15, verses 1 to 2. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You know, you don't have to perform open heart surgery on yourself. God knows that's a very bad idea. <laughs> you know, I, the way I like to word it is that God is always passively purging us if we are actually truly in him. But as Jesus say, if you are in me, I will prune you. If you're 
in me, if your life has, if you have really given your life to me and said, Jesus, I'm yours, I believe in you, then I will prune you. You don't have to do this yourself. I love what Thomas Aquinas, he, he wrote a commentary on this verse, and he says this, in the life of nature, it happens that a palm tree having many sprouts bears less fruit because of the diffusion of the sap to all the branches. Thus, in order that it may bear more fruit, cultivators trim away its superfluous shoots, so it is in man. If his affections incline to too many things, his virtue decreases, and he becomes more ineffective in doing good. And so, in order that the just who bear fruit may bear still more, God frequently cuts away in them whatever is still superfluous. He purifies them by sending tribulation and permitting temptations in the midst of which they show themselves more generous and stronger. No one is so pure in this life that he no longer needs to be more and more purified." God wants to purify you. And I love how Aquinas puts this. He, it's almost like he, he's, sometimes there's things that are bad for us in life. And sometimes there's just those neutral things that maybe they're not quite so bad, but they're not leading us anywhere to God. You know, God actually wants to help you with those things and say, hey, your focus can be on all these things and it can be split, or you can begin to more and more have yourself pruned so that your focus can be solely on me so that I can pour out blessing in your life, so that you can know me deeper as I know your heart truly desires to. And God is doing that in you right now. I look at my life, you know, I think I was thinking just five years ago today, and I, I, I just reflect to you on kind of my Christian journey. I look at what God's pruned in me, and hear me right, we still need to use what God's given us. He's given us a will. He's given us free will. He's given us the ability and power to work on things in our lives, but there's some things that we really do need God for, which is everything, actually, but God's there working us in the time. Now, it's not the microwave. It's not the momentary thing where everything's changed. Sometimes it's the five-year process. Sometimes there's things that we want to purge, and we want them purged in a day. Sometimes it takes us a week or a year or a decade. But if we can stay faithful to Christ and say, I'm unified with you and God, I'm going to do everything I can on my end while you do everything you can on your end so that I can be more like you, hey, that's the heart of a believer that wants to grow deeper and deeper with Christ. That's purging. That's what we're called to do. The illuminative. Um, I'm going to read, um, going to read this, this little thing here. There should be a slide behind me. The fundamental virtue of this state is recollection. That is, a constant attention of the mind and the affections of the heart to thoughts and sentiments which elevate the soul to God. Exterior recollection, which consists in the love of science and retirement. Interior recollection in simplicity of spirit and a right intention, as well as attention to God in all our actions. This does not mean that a person has to neglect the duties of his state or position in life, nor does it imply that honest and needful recreation should be avoided because these lawful or necessary circumstances or occupations can well be reconciled with perfect recollection and the most holy union with God. What's, a, what's illuminating? It's just setting our eyes on above. Um, a lot of my friends like to make fun of me because I post a lot on Instagram about beaches, um, which, like, I live in Caloundra. What do you want me to post about? <laughs> it's the best thing we've got, okay? <laughs> um, but recently, um, someone asked me a question of, am I at the beach every day? And I realized I am. I'm really at the beach every day. Humble brag. Um, but, you know, I'm not at the beach because I, I want to get my tan working. Clearly not. Um, that's not happening at all. Um, the reason I go to the beach, for me, this is just me, is I really find it's a place where I can find silence again to come know God. You know, it's very hard to grow with God if you're constantly surrounded by noise. To grow in God, to begin to look on Him, reflect on Him, it takes moments of silence. Uh, what I just read, it talked about 
exterior reflection on God and also interior reflection on God. When I think for myself, I go down to the beach, I see the waves and I see God's power. The power that's just constantly surging that, man, God, you could steal this water if you wanted to, or there could be a tsunami that wipes me out right now because that's your power right there, you know? I see the, the billions of grains of sand on King's Beach, probably a billion, I, I haven't done the math. And I see... God's just amazing vases where he's as far as east as to west and he knows every single one of those grains. If he wanted, he could pick one up and replace it with one at the other side of the beach just, just for the fun of it because that's the, the extent of God's knowledge. He knows every single little thing. I see people running and I see God's just glory and man. I see people exercising. It makes me feel guilty and the Holy Spirit comes and convicts and says, you need to exercise. And I say, I repent, Lord. Um, but I look at these things and what I, what I try to do and it's been so helpful for me in my walk, is I try to look at things from a God's eye lens. Now, not from God's lens, because my eye is not big enough from that, but from a God's eye lens. And what that does is it refreshes me more, like, more than anything in the world, more than anything in the world that whether it's an hour, whether it's 10 minutes that I get at the beach where I get to solely say, God, here's my mind, here's my thoughts, here's my affections, let me think on you, refreshes me more than anything. It's the one thing that I see in my day which is absolutely essential. Now look, sometimes it rains and I go do that in my room and I complain and grumble to God, be like, God, why'd you make it rain? Can I have the, you know, the weather remote? He says no. Um, But then there's the interior reflection as well. It's looking at, here's my anxieties, God. Here's my thoughts. Here's my my questions. I give them to you. I I don't give them to you because you're a magic eight ball and I just want you to give me all the answers. I give them to you knowing, God, that you have the ability to comfort that you have the ability to guide without giving me all the answers because you actually want to grow me. You don't just want me to be a pawn which you're moving around. You actually have made me a human being with a will resembling you. And I, I, I find God just speak to me and refresh me so much in that there. And, um, you know, God's so big. We never run out of things to, to really understand when it comes to him. Um, Pastor Paul preached an amazing message this morning, kind of really focused around this point of just the, the vastness, the greatness, the bigness of God. And um, he talked about how God is like an infinite source and we're a finite being. And a finite can never contain all of infinite. It's just logic doesn't work. I, when I look at what the illuminative is, it's me taking my finite cup and putting it under the waterfall that never stops running. And although I only get a tiny bit of that waterfall at every moment, it's enough to keep me going. It's enough to always keep me full, and it's always refreshing. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, there's a song I really like. Um, it's called Randy Describes Eternity. And eternity and infinity, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, I'm going to read it out for you. It should be on the screen here. Um, it says this, every thousand years, this metal sphere, ten times the size of Jupiter, floats just a few yards past the Earth, and you climb on your roof and take a swipe at it with a single feather once every thousand years, till you've worn it down to the size of a pea. Yeah, I'd say that's a long time, but it's only half a blink in the place you're going to be. Now, my first thought when I was thinking of that is it always made me think of the afterlife and, you know, where, where am I going to spend eternity? Um, but can I tell you, God's bigger than ten times the size of Jupiter. But I find even if once every thousand years I only got an atom of God, that's enough to fill me. Because even just an atom of God, who's a trillion, billion, gazillion times bigger than we could ever be, even an atom is enough to fill the human heart. Even an atom. And so my heart and, my, and our heart as a church should always be, God, if I'm here for, a, for an hour, if I'm here for a year, if I'm here for 10 years, but I just get a touch of you, God, that's enough to keep me going. That's better than anything I'll get in this world. Why seek after finite things when there's an infinite being full of love, 
full of love, ready to pour it out. If we would just be there with our faithful feather ready to say, God, just give me a bit. Just give me a bit. A bit's enough. Just, 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 just give me an atom, God, because I know it will fulfill me like nothing else ever could. I'll finish with um, one last scripture on this point here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. It says this. If, you, um, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, for us who have given our lives to Christ, the more we understand about God, the more we understand about ourselves as well, actually. It's because we are in Christ. And the illuminative, as much as it is about getting to know God, it's actually about getting to know who we are. Because God created you. And he gave you gifts. And he gave you talents. And the more that you grow in God, the more you actually come to understand yourself. And there's a peace with that. People go their whole lives trying to find themselves. They go to Timbuktu or China. I like to travel, so I'm, you know, I'm paying myself out a little bit here. Um, but... You know, you can find God wherever you're at. And I don't want to paint a picture of you've got to go to a beach. You can find God in, the, in, in, your, in your bedroom. You can find God with your eyes closed in your workplace at your desk, although you probably should be working. You can find God wherever you're at because he's infinite, he's vast, and all he wants is just his children to say, God, just give me an atom. That's enough. Just give me an atom of you for this life and I'll be satisfied. But, you know, it's not enough to... We don't actually know people just through our intellect. The intellect isn't the thing that connects one person to another. The thing that truly is the heart of a relationship is love. Love is a thing that connects one being to another. And if you don't know the scripture, in 1 John, the Bible tells us that God is love, and that God loves us, that God loves you, and the person next to you, and that he died for you, and that he so desperately wants you to know him, to be back in union with him, to be imitating him in the love that he is there. Um, the unitive. Two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says this, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, if you've given your life to Christ, you've actually become one spirit with him. That obviously it hangs upon if you really did give your life to him. I preached um, last time I was up here, I, I talked about the yoke and that when you put a yoke on, you actually can't take it off. The yoke is something that binds one creature to another thing and, and Jesus calls us to take his yoke, to give ourselves to him without any return policy. And... Um, you know why he calls us to do that? It's because that's what love looks like. It looks like commitment. It looks like saying, God, throughout every storm, but also throughout every valley, I'll be united to you. And this is another step we need to take in our spiritual journey as well, is actually coming to a place of, of, um, of comprehension and asking ourselves the genuine question with all the sincerity that we can muster up of God, am I truly united to you? If everything else in my life fell away, Everything. If, you know, I went from I'm a young adult that's 20 and now I'm, now I'm 70, year old, 70 years old and I didn't get anything that I wanted in my life, God, would I still be happy with you? Would I still love you? Would you still have my whole heart? 
Because God's given it all to you already. I was talking to a close friend just the other day, and the love of God always chokes me up. I'm going to try not to get choked up right now. I was talking to a friend, and we were talking about rest, about where you can find rest, about what you've got to do, and there's a whole other preach in that. Um, but there was a moment where I was just sharing with him what gives me rest, and <laughs> here I get choking up. Um, <laughs> I... I, I choked up talking to him. I don't think he saw because we were talking pretty late at night, so it was good. I, I saved it, but there's bright lights for me right now. Um, I, I told him that the one place I find true rest is in the absolute 100% knowledge I've got that God loves me. And not just loves me, because we say love and it can just be thrown around and we don't get what it means, but specifically that he's proud of me, that he's happy with me, that he's kind to me, that he likes me, that he wants me. And you know... Sure, spending a day at home reading is refreshing. You know, Just looking at the ocean is a great thing to find rest in my soul and to grow in Christ. But above all of that, the most restful thing for me, and the thing that I constantly try to grow in with God is to rest in that one thought that God, you actually crazily do love me. You actually do love me. And I, I was a kid that grew up in church and I heard that a billion times. I did. I, literally, I did. I, you know, people would say God loves you and it was great knowledge. It was amazing knowledge. I was like, oh, that's, a, that's a very nice thing to know. Thank you very much, preacher man. Um, I, I can remember a significant moment. I think it was maybe I was 17 or I was 18 and it was the first time I actually believed it. I actually believed it. It wasn't just a great idea, a good philosophical concept, but it was something that I chose to be like, God, you know what? Maybe this is true. Maybe you could love me. But the person that I am, maybe you actually are happy and proud of me. And I've found no greater truth in this life than that. I've found no greater grounding principle. I've found nothing in this world that has drawn me closer to the divine, that's drawn me higher and higher than the knowledge that God loves me. And I want to remind you tonight, and I pray, I pray that this would be something that you might be able to believe tonight if you're not 100%, is that God loves you, that you've got a creator who is already, he's already put, put his hand out to unite with you. And all he's asking for us is to reciprocate it. We never make the first move. We don't. We're not clever enough for that as human beings. God made the first move. He created us. We walked away from him. He sent himself down as Jesus Christ and he died on a cross so that we might know him fully, so that he might pay the price of all the icky that we have done in our lives. I, um, there was a, when I was 19, I remember at the start of the year, I met up with one of the pastors here um, at this church and I was, I was just talking about my relationship with God or what I, what I kind of wanted, what I wanted to get out of the year. And I, um, I'll, I'll read this scripture because I think it'll give a better context to the story. This is just after Jesus has come back. It's one of the last things reported in John's gospel. And it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Ah, oh, it always kills me. <laughs> Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. I remember talking um, to this pastor and basically just telling him I didn't want to be Simon Peter in this story. I wanted Jesus to know just from the first yes that I did. But the problem was I wasn't living right at this time. I really wasn't. I was living a life that needed a lot of purging, (laughs) a lot of purging. And praise God, he walked me on that journey there. Um, But I didn't want to be the person who Jesus had to ask twice. I wanted to have a heart that was sincere because I wanted to love God. I wanted him to have all of my heart, but I found it so hard because I knew I wasn't living in the right way to probably accept it. And that was a lie. That was a false sort of mind because Jesus takes us wherever we're at and thankfully I was able to grasp onto that there. But I remember coming away from that year and realizing, God, you truly do give us what our heart wants. Because even though I was not living the best life, I truly wanted God with everything inside of me. I just wanted nothing but him, nothing but him. And God dragged me through the thorniest bush, the most painful process to get my heart back on track with him. And I came to the end of that year being, God, praise you. You actually gave me what I wanted. And I reflected, I remember having a moment being where I realized I could have not wanted this. I could have chosen to say, this is too hard. I'm too far gone. I'm just going to leave it. You know, God, maybe you do love me, but you know what? This sounds a bit hard. We're going to leave it. And can I just tell you right now tonight that whatever your heart wants in this life, you're going to get it. Whatever your heart wants in this life, you are going to get it. Which can either be a very, very comforting thought or a very, very scary thought. There's um, this movie called Stalker. And it's about a room which gives you whatever you want in your heart. And all these men, they try to seek it out. And um, they go to it, you know, thinking that maybe they'll, um, thinking that they're going to bring about world peace. And that they're going to bring about, you know, um, a, a restoration inside their family. But they get to this room and they leave it with riches and gold and material wealth. And it breaks them. It breaks them because they realize my heart wasn't actually sincere after I actually did get my heart's desires. Now, it's a bit brutal, but life can be about the same way. And so I want to leave you with the question tonight. What do you want tonight? Do you want God? Or is it just a good idea? Do you want God? Or is he just your backup? Is he just your ticket into heaven? 